Hello and welcome to the show. Just got back from Austin, had an amazing time at the Outlier Podcast Festival. So many great people and ideas and inspirations. I'll be covering it all next week in an Austin special. Anyway, I'm reviewing three podcasts this week with my friend Dan Davies, who is one of the few editors who actually published me uh, in the early 2000s in Birmingham. And he's been listening to the show, and he suggested one of the podcasts we're reviewing today, and it's just been it's just been great to reconnect. I asked for more mythological names in my life while reviewing uh, Io's Ballad of Billy Bowles the other week, and it turns out that Dan's two-year-old daughter is called Hebe, after the uh, cupbearer of the gods. Also this week, I got an email from my friend Becky. Thanks a lot for the kind words, Becky. And uh, it seems something that I said in a past show sparked her to share a viral video with me that I hadn't seen before. And this has led me off to something else. I think she knows that I've been meeting uh, William and we've been watching some uh, YouTube videos together. You'll hear more about that in the next bit. Now, this next bit is recorded outside. I love doing, uh, you know, the the gorilla recording stuff. And this time I used a couple of Rode lapel mics. One on me and one attached to Devi, my hand puppet. So there is noise, uh, wind, birds, lawnmowers kick in at some point. But that's what you get when you're trying to capture the unique moments. Trying to get that sweet spot. You sacrifice a little bit of audio quality for spontaneity. And you get those truer moments in the ear of the world, rather than the cushioned perfection of the studio. The studio. The studio. The studio. The studio. 11.38 a.m. I'm, uh, I'm here to meet William. He actually hasn't got around to listening to my show yet. He's, uh, he's a big, uh, Mark Maron fan. You know, a what-the-fuck nut. I'm hoping, uh, he'll listen to this episode at least. Well, you know because he's going to be in it and uh, and I'm going to review uh, review his favourite show here he comes here he comes slowly slowly careful oh oh no his fly is open the elephant is hidden thankfully is that you Andy? Yes, yes, it is I, your friend, your eyes, your guide to the visual realm. Who, uh, who are you talking to? My listeners, William. You know, from the podcast. Right. Your fly's open, by the way. What? On your pants, the zipper. Oh, uh, can you do it? William, you're, you're blind, you're not crippled. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll get you yet. <laughs> and there he goes, ladies and gentlemen. His hands swift, sure, practiced, and automatic. Civilization restored. He may be blind, but he's not helpless. How long have you been dressing yourself, William? Longer than you! (laughs) And how long have you been blind, William? Since I was born. Longer than you've had eyes. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, Where are we going? 
I thought the park, it's uh, it's a nice day. Okay. Hold my arm. Uh, where, um, oh, uh, I met William when I signed up for a did community volunteer yes. scheme. I was supposed uh, I to read to him, but oh, audio yes, books are everywhere now, so that was a bit redundant. But we got talking, and it quickly became apparent that he had no idea nice, about the digital yes, realm, change. you know, what's happening with memes and viral videos and the like. So we meet about once a week, and I buy him lunch, and we watch a few YouTube videos together, and I explain to him what's going on on screen. He's a big fan of Gangnam Style. That was one of the first ones we did. Feels good. First time in weeks that I feel like I put the right coat on. Yeah, yeah you're, not, you're not alone there, William. So, what have you got for me? Um, I was sent this one from my friend Becky. Um, yeah, have a listen. That's not nice. What's happening? Is it that uh, trout mask replica again? No, no, it, it's it's not from the masterwork. Masterwork, master headache, more like. Oh, what, what's happening? She sounds Chinese. Wow, good ears, William. What's happening? No, no, nothing good, I think. Uh, the YouTube channel is called uh, Animal Antics. Oh, a new one. Yeah, yes, we've never uh, been here before. Um, there, it's crazy, there are a million channels now, it's hard to really explain it or comprehend. Yeah, well, tell me then. This one is a video, a close-up headshot of a Chinese blogger from March this year, and she was live-streaming herself trying to eat a live octopus. What? <laughs> She's trying to eat a live octopus? Yes. <laughs> is that what they do? <laughs> interesting, interesting question. You mean the Chinese? Yes. <laughs> well, well, no. I mean, she does, but you can't extrapolate that out and say it's representative of the whole Chinese people. I mean, it's certainly representative of a particular brand of YouTube video blogging. But, but anyway, that's not the main thing about it. What's happening is the octopus is not having it and is fighting back. Good. And it's using its tentacles and ripping at her face with its suction cups and it's pulling so hard, the flesh is being pulled right off her skull. And it's pulling right off her skull almost and around her eye socket, you can see right into the dark place and she eventually manages to pull it free and there's blood on her cheek. It's suction cup has pulled so powerfully, it's broken the capillary vessels in her skin. Good. Serves her right. Do you know what an octopus looks like? Uh, I think so. Uh, I've listened to Jules Verne and another one, uh, more scientifical. Oh, uh, what was it? So, you're on the side of the octopus? No, of course. Aren't you? I mean, am I am I missing something? Have they, have they dressed the octopus up like, uh, like Hitler or something? <laughs> No, no, that w that's a different video. So why, why aren't you on the side of the octopus? Well, I didn't say that I wasn't. They are very intelligent animals. The octopus and the orangutan. That, 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 was, the, that was it. Good book. By uh, Eugene uh, Linden. You should check it out from the library. I, I will, thank you. So, why are you on the side of the octopus? Because you eat animals, don't you? Yes, but not alive. Not like that. That's not right, is it? 
the octopus eats fish alive. I mean, it doesn't live stream itself for entertainment. We do that, but wait, no, that's another thing. That's just wrong. But why? I mean, the octopus is going to be dead either way. Um, this is just kind of like playing with your food. I want to know why your friend... Uh, Becky. Uh, why, why would Becky send this to you? It sounds horrible. Well, it, it is and it isn't, but uh, maybe, you know, your imagination is kicking in a bit and making it worse than it is. Uh, it's really, it's not strange these days to share stuff like this with friends. I mean, it's what we do. We? Uh, humanity. We share videos. I guess, you know, like I've been doing with you. I don't like this one so much, friend. It's, this is no Gangnam style, that's for sure. <laughs> no. It's not Charlie bit my finger. <laughs> yes, yeah. But <laughs> you're right. But that's what I've been telling you. Sometimes they get very strange. So, so, so you're strange. That's why she sent you this, or sent it to you. No. Well, she listens to the show, and I did a bit about wearing an octopus as a hat, and it sparked this, and she shared it with me, and, you know, it sounds a lot stranger than it is, really. I mean, honestly, you know, now that I think about it, it's totally on point for her. You know, she's a marine biologist, ex-Navy really? oceanographer. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, um, yeah she's probably very pro-octopus, like you. And on the face of it, it's a good video with an interesting message. An example of hubris, you know, the natural world fighting back against, you know, the never-ending assault from humanity. A fight to the death, and we're locked in this fight to the death. We're locked in this fight to the death. You know, and the natural world cannot hope to win unless we get smart and choose, uh, choose mercy. But why would she do it? Becky? No, that, that, that Chinese woman. Well, she's probably hungry. I mean... <laughs> I mean, why would she film it? It's it's YouTube. People are filming all sorts of stupid shit. It's like everyone has a channel these days. And um, some of them manage to monetize it even, get famous and sell advertising. But why? Honestly, William, it's, you know, it's strange to me too. Anyway, would you like to try it? What? Eating a live octopus. Get away. We can live stream it. You're a fucking asshole. <laughs> oh, it's slimy. Oh, don't fucking touch me with it. Get, get away. William, William, it's okay. It's just almond cake. Trader Joe's almond cake. Gotcha. Asshole. And anyway, one, I really wouldn't do it to you. Two, where would I get a live octopus? H-Mart, the Korean supermarket in Wheaton? Ah, uh, yeah, I suppose it's quite, it's quite close. <laughs> you are an asshole. That's the news from Lake Wobegon, where all the women are cows, the men are amiable halfwits, and all the children are rosy-cheeked and often mistaken for vermin. Garrison. Where are the reviews? My balls are so big, they really don't matter me. My balls are so big, gonna choke your whole family. My balls are so big, gonna crush Sean Hannity. Come on, Dan. It's review. Time.
Very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. So, we met in Birmingham. It was Birmingham like 2000-ish, right? And you were... <laughs> yeah, a, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you were the editor of a very cool magazine called Blowback that I could never quite understand how that <laughs> kind of worked. <laughs> it's very, I don't know, like a 50-page glossy uh, kind, yeah. of, kind of music magazine that was very high production values and then just kind of dropped for free in clubs and cool venue foyers, like uh, just all over. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. It sort of fitted into that. It kind of hit that sweet spot, you know, where sort of general sort of, I suppose, magazine or print sales were going down. There was a kind of, you know, the desktop publishing boom had sort of, taken off and actually it was becoming cheaper to print good stuff and we really wanted to have have a magazine that people would collect we were influenced by everything from sort of vice uh through to like i don't know the face and things like that and we really wanted stuff that people would put on their shelves and and sort of go back to and that's you know that's why we kind of had that it was sort of it was uncoated paper it was heavy heavy yeah. sort of uh, we, i think yeah, i think you certainly achieved that the the content yeah. was really special you know lots of yeah. in-depth stuff and you know you even printed my bizarre shit you know, which was just, you know, which was just, which was kind of hilarious, but also, um, you know, kind of fun. You never knew what you were kind of getting, kind of. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was one of those things. That, I, mean, I think we were quite idealist, and as young people are, um, <laughs> in, in what we wanted, and you know, we made some, we made so many mistakes um, in terms of. You know everything from we didn't really credit ourselves properly, right. <laughs> which is when I started doing journalism proper. People were like, "Well, what have you done before?" I was like, oh, I've done loads of stuff, and they were like, well, "Well, where is it? Where's where's your where's your byline?" I'm like, "Um, yeah, we didn't really believe in bylines or second names." Or <laughs> You know, it's kind of shot myself yeah. in the foot there. Yeah, but, well, um, that was all—all all that stuff from uh, Space Cat. That's me. Oh, really? <laughs> Can you prove that? No. Yeah. Wow, yeah. that's funny. <laughs> Talking of cats, I don't know whether you remember. Cats kind of featured quite uh, a lot in the design and stuff. We, our website, our first website was a flash game where you kind of a cat would just pop out of a hole with a big Cheshire grin and you used to just have to click on it to go away. And that was the entire website. I mean, it was just... It was always fun coming into the office and visiting you guys. There was a certain, you know, carefree, artistic wonderment. It was nice. And you're in the Custard Factory, of course, which was a very special space in itself. Yes. Yeah, the Custard Factory was um, it's one of those spaces that had been a warehouse. It housed the birds' custard. Oh right! During the Second World War, and uh, so oh right, was... they had to yeah, because the Nazis were particularly after the custard, so they had to hide it in special warehouses. I forgot about that. That was one of the unknown bits of the of the war. <laughs> and and I suppose, but like like many cities that kind of got hollowed out, their sort of industries got slowly died 
you know, you, what do you get? You get early stage hipsters, kind of lots of creative ideas. Not an awful lot of them materialised, and there was a lot of what? What exactly do you do yeah. um, <laughs> when speaking to people? Um, but you know, it was it was a good melting pot and a really interesting petri dish for um, you know creativity, which is, was the kind of driving force for blowback in many ways. It was just about finding stuff that inspired us and trying to inspire others. You know, yeah, it was it was it was it was an excellent yeah, it was a great space, excellent time. I'd, I'd wander down from the central library, grab a pint, get a little stoned, and then just wander and see what the arty types were doing in the uh, custard factory. And then I'd like wander in and see. He was there either I'd go and see uh, Luke Brown or Emma at Tyndall Street Press who uh, published yeah. a few yeah. of my short stories so I'd go and drop in on Jonathan at uh, he was running the literature festival there and then there was like a few other people and then you guys so it was like it was like a nice <laughs> and you could in those days you could smoke at your desk so we had a guy called Rolls whose name was Roland. He loved drum and bass music, which is one of the reasons why he was called Rolls and uh-huh. his name was Roland. But also he did roll the kind of most brutal spliffs that I've ever had. <laughs> and Camberwell <laughs> carrot type situation. Yeah. Yeah. And I used to just, he used to give me, he used to pass that to me and I used to, you slip into a dream and completely forget that I was supposed to be interviewing Grandmaster Flash in 10 minutes time. <laughs> <laughs> which he was not happy about <laughs> wow <laughs> and i guess it's all coming back in a way especially over over stateside but yeah. um you know we were we were again we had like one summer where um uh, psychedelic mushrooms were uh, were made legal due to a loophole really and yeah we took them around all the festivals with a blowback tent <gasps> and <Wow>. sold them <laughs> and, <laughs> And it was just, it was just insane. <laughs> wow! Well done. Yeah, maybe it'll come back. Who knows? But I, I, again, yeah, they just they just legalized mushrooms in uh, Denver, in Colorado, yeah. which is a complete surprise. Yeah, definitely. It's just now these days. I just um, back to back to fatherhood. I just can't see myself um, having the space to uh, enjoy any of that stuff anymore. No, you can't. No, there's no, there's no chance. <laughs> Got to be 100% on point at all times. Exactly. You're a dad. I know. I know. Who'd have thought it, eh? Hey, well. Yeah. How, how's that? Was it planned? Was it a long time in the works kind of situation? It is one of those things where it was a kind of, well, should we give it a go? And then it, it happened very quickly. Magical. And uh, Wonderful. It was a bit of a shock. <laughs> it turned from idea to reality and very quickly. And uh, but it's it's wonderful. Love it. Love it to bits. Um, it's massively frustrating and massively wonderful. Like often in the same minute. So you got a little girl. Yeah, she's uh, she's two now. Her she... name is uh, Hebe. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, yeah, classical reference there for you. Nice. Uh, yeah, so uh, Jules, my wife, did um, classics at uni, and it's uh, Zeus and Ganymede's daughter. That's incredible because I was just I was just talking about that in uh, one of the episodes because there's one of the episodes is a ballad of Billy Bowles and she by Io, and yeah. uh, you know I was kind of like, oh yeah, I wish there I wish we had more classic god names, and here yeah, you are. <laughs> it is a minefield though, working out. 
you know, which which um, classical references to avoid that haven't shagged their mothers or died. <laughs> right. Been eaten alive or whatever. <laughs> Gouged out eyeballs and the like. Um, but yeah, no, actually, interesting. Thanks for getting me into uh, the Ballad of Billy of the Walls, actually. Um, it was because of uh, this podcast that I, um, that I, I, you turned me on to that. And uh, oh, I've been loving it. It's been great. Yeah, you're the first guest to come on and uh, give me some uh, a boost on one of the missions of, <laughs> of my podcast, turning people onto new stuff. Excellent. It's so good talking to you. There's a phenomenon in uh, podcasting whereby comedians are kind of having a second or third act to their um, professional lives by becoming podcast personalities and interviewing people. Um, of course, you've got Mark Maron with his uh, W2F and... Um, and then you uh, hooked me up with the Adam Buxton podcast, which yeah. is is incredible. I've, I'm just enjoying it so much. It's so funny. Um, so a bit of an overview for people who might not know. Adam Buxton was uh, part of a sketch kind of duo, uh, the Adam and Joe show. Uh, they did like they were like kind of like lo-fi animation, like what Robot Chicken became, and uh, they did a lot of of kind of lo-fi kind of sketches, kind of like a Wayne's World. Uh, public access TV feel. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, that's it's it's interesting actually. Again, sort of talking about that because obviously cable in the UK wasn't really a thing when they started out. In fact, actually, you know, when Adam Buxton and his friend Joe Cornish started out, that there was only four channels <laughs> on UK terrestrial television, and oh, yeah. the fourth. The fourth was the one that Adam Buxton was on, and it was seen as the sort of, I guess, sort of youthy channel that um, took more sort of risks than the kind of mainstream BBC channels. It's interesting, again, that sort of DIY aesthetic, like you sort of say, bedroom-based and um, a bit like blowback in many ways, that sort of, you know, putting the tools of production into people's hands and letting them sort of take some creative leaps with it in many ways. Which is exactly what what we're doing now. That's why why it makes sense for both Marin and Buxton, really, to sort of go into that sort of area, um, because essentially they both kind of became outsiders. I mean, I know Marin's gone on to do... You know, he's pretty good on Netflix now. He's got some TV series. and But I think he was he started the podcast when he was on the outskirts yeah. yes. of, um, his, of, what, of, of the industry. For one it, it, was a, it was a low point. And um, I, was, I was a Marin fan um, of his comedy, his edgy comedy, for sure. I mean, you know, after Bill Hicks dies, I kind of like yeah. looked, looked around for like, well, who's picking up that torch? And, you know, yeah, George Carlin. But... Definitely Mike Maron. I don't think he got the credit he deserves. Some very wonderful, edgy material. Whereas, you know, now the completely he's reinvented as this behemoth interviewer of yeah. everybody. Yeah, I mean, it was a case of right place, right time, wasn't it, really? I mean, yeah. I, I don't claim to be any kind of um, sort of Maron archivist, but he just was in the right... He was, you know, on the outskirts of... Is it Hollywood or is yes. it... Yeah. But he had seemed to have access to a lot of um, a lot of guests who were just 
and people within his own network who'd sort of gone on to do sort of popular things and yeah. it kind of just fitted together and I, I think yeah and he, and he, uh, he was he was fortunate in that he found uh, Brendan McDonald and they developed a, the uh, his producer through his uh, yeah. radio free America stuff um, which again was you know very very funny shows that he did for there and very edgy whereas you know now I mean I mean is it a thousand episodes you've got to celebrate. I mean, what he's what what they've accomplished—a thousand interviews, you know, an, an incredible library of stories that uh, that they've made. Um, it's yeah. kind of mind mind blowing, really. Um, yeah, and access to some of the biggest. I mean, the Obama one was yeah. was a watershed moment, really. Yeah, yeah. When he came on, and yeah, yeah, podcasting from someone's shed. Yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. It's fine. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, with stipers on the roof yeah. uh, <laughs> and all that kind of thing. Just a casual, not the hacky sack around chat, and, yeah. uh, but there are snipers on the roof. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you, it's it's difficult to imagine uh, more recent presence in a similar situation, isn't it? Yeah, don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what's prod that one, isn't it? Don't touch the wound. But... On the plus side, maybe punk to the seventies is what podcasting is to now. Wow, you know, you've got yeah. this this uh, channel to sort of yeah. to sort of get your voice out there with no filter. Both Marin and Buxton kind of leveraged their own network, yes, uh, in many ways. And and you know, often it can be a case of whether you know it's a tried formula but you know a lot of these things you can cherry pick the interviews that that appeal to you the most or the person that you've heard of um yeah for sure i mean that's what that's where i am with with marin now it's kind of almost some of the episodes you kind of like he slips into this uh kind of therapy mode you know his his story's so kind of being developed and pounded out now that it's very easy for him to touch on his transformation and kind of some of the interviews so vanilla privileged you know coming from a, you know what I mean he's not really as angry as he was I mean as an old Marin yes. fan I would like him to be using his platform now to find a bit more of that kind of edge again because he's he's yeah, already, I, he's on top now. He can get people on and really, you know, explode issues more and drive for funnier conversations. I mean, he's funny and it's entertaining, but I'm not a lot of the time. I'm kind of like, oh, it's better than the usual junket stuff. You know, like, that you get on late night. Come on, pitch what you're selling now. Go away. It's certainly deeper. You get you know, a more crafted understanding of the very you know, the fascinating individuals that he gets. But he could drive home a bit more of a an agitating uh, question style. Does that make sense? I don't know. I completely agree with that sort of retrenchment that yeah. that you have with a podcast as well. And you really, you can really dig into something. It's, and anger is, is quite, it's quite good for anger in that way. Um, Buxton, in a way, is similar because he, he had a long-term sort of comedy partner, for one of a better word, um, in the form of Joe, Joe Cornish. And he ended up going off to Hollywood with uh, a friend of both of theirs called Garth Jennings, who did various music promos for people like uh, Badly Drawn Boy um, and Fat Boy Slim, people like that. So and, so he lost his comic partner. He was kind of like a little bit... Yeah. A little bit left behind. A little bit left behind in England. 
and uh, yeah. and your comic partner's gone to great things in LA and has a swimming pool and is you know <laughs> yeah they yeah they have a running joke whenever they they get he gets Joe Cornish on around Christmas time now and they have a running joke they've got a, he's got a he's got a story about Tom Cruise that <laughs> yeah. he's he keeps on partially telling he tells like a line of the story every every year <laughs> and uh, it's just built up over three years and and. Buxton is like sort of openly angry that Cornish <laughs> won't actually get to the end of the of the anecdote. <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, and uh, you know, I tell you what, I also there's an interesting thing about the creativity as well. I think both Marin and Buxton love music. Yeah, Marin, you know, loves playing his guitar, and Buxton makes the most insane jingles and sort of stings and things like that it's incredible I'm so addicted to the show because I think it's the jingles and the laughter I'm getting so much out of uh, the Adam Buxton podcast because it's so funny he has very good interviews and but he also finds the funny uh, much more than Marin and the jingles are incredible they're so inspiring yeah yeah definitely Um, I, I like it when he does sort of break away from the format a few times he hasn't done it uh, that much recently but he um he did a show which was called i think it was called something like cold odyssey <laughs> where he documented uh the life of life cycle of his cold over a week <laughs> and um that was that was pretty funny and he did another one the, my favorite one oh he did one he did like a skiing holiday one again sort of bringing his family in which i i, I thought you might enjoy it i was i was really enjoying i was actually uh i was listening started listening to that on my way back home last night i went out to a open mic stand-up show downtown and when i was driving home i was started the skiing show it's it's fantastic it's great so we've been talking about uh comedians doing podcasts we've done we've done pretty good takes on uh, myron and Buxton, there's another one that I want to take. I want to tell you about that um, you might not know about. I'm sure a lot of people don't know about. And uh, it's uh, the uh, Larry Wilmore uh, Black on Air podcast. Um, right. And, and Larry has uh, a, an interesting, uh, similar story. A comedian who's had some uh, troubles in his career. Very successful, you know, uh, Emmy award-winning producer and writer for Fresh Prince of Bel Air. And yeah, then yeah. he like took over from the Colbert uh, show. He was the, took over that slot when Colbert moved uh, with his own talk show, um, the Nightly Show. But that only lasted for about a, a year uh, before it was cancelled. I I really like the show. It's it was a difficult place to fill, and yeah. it was perceived as being I don't know uh, quote unquote too black, you know, too right. ethnic. So it didn't quite I think. Land because this country has such a huge problem with race. We need we need to have major criminal justice reform. And but Larry was always very good in throughout his career on on kind of being that wonderful comedic voice, constantly edgily nudging the conversation along and being funny about it. I mean, if you look, he you'll probably remember him from he did the uh, White House Correspondents Dinner in uh, 2016, Obama's last year. And it was got you. It was brilliant. Yeah. He was. It was such a good gig. He was his performance. I loved it. But the reaction from the mainstream media and from the the people in the room was, you know, he died. Basically, I guess is the thing. He died on stage. But if you look at the actual script, it's it's absolutely hilarious. You know, it's kind of like he, I mean, he started by immediately 
you know, he upset people by, I think his opening line was something like, welcome to Negroes at the White House, or as Fox News will, will call it, um, two thugs disrupt a black tie dinner in DC. You know, kind of like <laughs> instantly, and that instantly less like, it's calling out what's happening in a way that a lot of uh, a lot of comedians don't, and it, nice. it's just very important. So, so in Black on Air, I, he's doing much more. I think it's not listed under comedy. I think it's definitely culture and society, and he's going yeah. he's going more uh, more deeper with his uh, message and activism, but not in a in a pedantic way. He still finds still finds the funny uh, very well, and I will if- urge you to check it out. Yeah, definitely. Is there an is there an episode that you would recommend? Yeah, recent one, the Michael Lu- he, he, the Michael Lewis episode. Michael Lewis is the writer of uh, Moneyball and The Big Short. Okay. Um, Tanahisi Coates, great episode. Um, there was a good one with Gretchen Carlson. Um, oh, Basim Youssef. Yeah, that was a good episode uh, on uh, the power of satire for social change. It's been. This has been a great chat, Dan. It's good to reconnect with you on so many levels. And Absolutely. let's give what we what we want. How how we sum up these shows? Is there anything else you particularly want to say about Marin? I think yeah. I think you were right about sometimes he doesn't always he doesn't do his research kind kind of famously. He kind of just freestyles with it, which most of the time works. Particularly if he's interested yeah. in the person that he's speaking to. Other times you do get a little bit of kind of like he's he spends most of the interview going, Yeah, so tell me about your childhood. Yeah. What was that like? Yeah. What was that bit like? Yeah. What was that bit like? So, you know, there is that tendency for him to sit back on his laurels a bit. Yeah, he's definitely but, definitely mining a therapy kind of thing. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's kind of like which is great because a lot of people who've been through and reform themselves. They come out with a very zen-like, you know, therapy store of uh, conversational uh, weapons that they can deploy upon you for wonderful effect. Marin is very passionate, and I do love that about him. But he'd also, when it goes to the dark side, it can become very kind of self-centered and paranoid. Yeah, you know, particularly as, you know, yeah, with the Lawn episode for sure. And the, you know, the Lewis, the classic Lewis C.K., uh, yeah. Double header. So uh, the Marin, I'm going to give it a, uh, a, a Louis C.K. Louis, come back on the show. You can bring your penis. Some finger snaps and uh, all the marbles. I would like to give him uh, a cartoonish pow. Surrender that gigantic pie. <laughs> a team of snipers. <laughs> Gathering on a garage roof. <laughs> oh, yeah, the Obama. <laughs> Fantastic. At Buxton, I, I love the show. Thank you again so much for the recommendation. I'm, I'm obsessed with the Rosie the dog. He does the voice of his dog. That's just one of my yeah. favorite bits. It just makes me smile. It's just fantastic. Uh, I am going to give Buxton, uh, you know, five stars, two thumbs up. And uh, because he does voices of things, I'm also going to give him a talking spoon. Like me, in normal, normal, I guess, measuring. Tea's nice, warm, don't like the mouth stuff much. Horror show, best of times. None of us do well. Frank and Dolores, they they, they like it, but, you know, they're a bit pervy. <laughs> nice. Um, I'd like to give him maybe the sound of a ZX Spectrum loading. <laughs> And um, something like, 
a high-powered homemade waffle iron <laughs> being powered up. Nice. Thank you so much, Dan. Oh, Larry Wilmore, everyone, check it out. Uh, Black on air, Larry Wilmore. Um, he's gonna get. He gets five stars, two thumbs up. Uh, he's a mensch. You're a mensch, not a nebbish. And uh, stand up for racial justice. Attention! Mr. Newsham, this is Jackie from the RR Project. Oh, uh, hi, Jackie. We were just in process with William, and he got very upset and said you tried to touch him with an octopus? Unbelievable. What a grass. Are you saying you didn't try to touch him with an octopus? Of course not. He said you were going to live stream it ripping his face off. Jackie, I honestly don't know what he's playing at, but that's not what happened. It was just bants. Just a bit of banter. You know, he tries to get me to touch his penis. I pretend I have a live octopus in my lunchbox. It was all mundane-ish. Which he consumed like a vacuum cleaner, I might add. He has the exact nutritional intake for his optimized daily performance. He also says you haven't been reading to him? He has audible. Honestly, the whole reading to a blind man thing is a total anachronism. No, 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 Mr. Newsham. The reading is a core piece of the approved program. I thought you understood that. So what have you been doing? Well, we watch YouTube videos, and I explain what happens. He's, he's been missing out on a lot. You know, we watch something like Gangnam Style, and I, I explain it to him. You know, like, now he's spitting coke out of his mouth on a child. Now he's riding his crazy imaginary horse through a yoga class and lustily objectifying women. This activity has not been approved, Mr. Newsham. Okay, that's a bit weird. Look, I think we're going to have to take a break. Let the team check in with William and see if we can't sort this out. Sure. Fine with me. Good. We'll be in touch. Hmm. William, William, William. That'll be the last almond Danish you get from me, buddy. You'll be the chocolate babka at best. All those orange cranberry scone things that get stuck in your teeth.
that's it. It's a wrap. If you've enjoyed the show, you can buy me a coffee if you like. If you feel so inclined, hit the buy me a coffee button on the webpage, www.andyspodcastapodcastingpodcast.com. The jazz is from Mario Rom's Intersong. Check out the links on my webpage. Andy's Podcast, a podcasting podcast, is brought to you by the American Shoe Council. Over 40,000 years of bipedal history. Shoes. How else are you going to protect your feet? Don't worry about the Chinese vlogger, Seaside Girl Little Seven, and her staged octopus stunt. She's fine. The octopus isn't, of course. Or other marine animals. Let me know what you think. Andy's podcast, a podcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening to the show. Catch you later. Bye.